0: Hey, it's Andrew Morgan, host of the NOMCAST, the Netflix original movie podcast. Each week we review the biggest Netflix original movies with special guests from the film industry, the music industry, comedians, and of course our fellow podcasters. Check us out on the web at nomcastpod.com, follow us on the socials at nomcastpod, and most importantly, listen and subscribe to us wherever you get podcasts. Hit that beat one time.
1: Hi, I'm Mike Field. I'm Pat
0: Whalen. Pat is a lifelong comic book geek. And Mike is a
1: filmmaker and storyteller. So naturally, a bulk of our conversations surround the world of the Marvel movies. Some consider the MCU one of the greatest achievements in modern day filmmaking, and others just think they're comic book movies. Each episode, we'll tackle one film and discuss the differences between the comic book and what's on screen. We'll explore the growth of the Marvel Cinematic Universe from its inception to present day and beyond, and have a little fun along the way. You may not have asked for it. You certainly don't need it, but you'll be happy we're here. We think. This is yet another MCU podcast. Pat, there's a ghost behind you. What? <laughs> what? No, I'm sorry. That's just Ant Man and the Wasp. Oh, oh just yes. a scary. Dynamite opening, dynamite opening. <laughs> so, hello, Pat. How are you today? I'm doing well, Mike. How are you doing? This Happy is, New Year! Happy New Year! This is we are uh, recording this uh, after the New Year, so this is January second, two thousand twenty-one. Uh, you will not be hearing this until I don't know March, February. February? Who knows? Uh, there. Well, actually, we are getting close. So yeah, February. You're right. You're right. So we are rolling along with phase three. Part two, and we are now entering the Ant Man and the Wasp face of the movie. uh Let's quick go through. I don't know if you had anything else to add. Or, no, no, okay. let's do it. So uh, we'll go r- right through it. Uh, Ant Man and the Wasp was a runtime of 118 minutes, rated PG-13, production budget of 162 million dollars. Was released on July 6, 2018. Opening weekend, it did 75.8 million domestic. Uh, did 216 million, and then worldwide 622 million. I'm not surprised about that because Ant Man's not really there. Big time. Mm-mm. Nice pat with a little shake of the head. Nope. You are correct. Nope. Ant-Man is just okay. It's just there. Directed by Peyton Reed, who did the original Ant-Man. Uh, and I know he did a Mandalorian episode that everyone seemed to love. Written by a bunch of people. Written by Chris McKenna and Eric Summers. And they have both done the Spider-Man movies, The Homecoming and Far From Home. That's coming up for us, at least. And then you have Paul Rudd with another writing credit, which just makes me think he just was you know, ad-libbing stuff and Probably, writing yeah. stuff down. You had Andrew Burr, Gabriel Ferrari, were or, uh, or all recent writers from the original Ant-Man. So I would have just assumed they were all, I don't know, getting yeah. their heads together, put stuff up. Music by Christoph Beck, who did the other Ant-Man as well. And then cinematography by Dante Spinati. And I have this is his first Marvel movie, I think. or I have believe we, so, yeah. yeah. So, we all know who was in this from previous. You have Paul Rudd as Scott Lang, Evangeline Lilly as Hope Van Dyne, Michael Douglas as Hank Pym, and then now we meet Michelle Pfeiffer as Janet Van Dyne. She was not in the first one, just the face of a woman that was not her. Mm-hmm. <laughs> as I talked before about ghosts. You have Hannah John Kamen as Ghost, and Lawrence Fishburne as Bill Foster. Bill Foster is from the comic. I know that, Pat. Yes. And I, what, who I didn't know was from the comic was Jimmy Woo, played by Randall Park.
0: Yeah, we'll get into him. <laughs>
1: <laughs> all right. So as we like to do, we like to talk about the movie. like to talk about the difference between the movie and the comic, and then this movie within the MCU, which is not a lot. So, Pat, did you like it?
0: I had fun with all the same reasons I had fun for the first one. The good family dynamic. I think Scott Lang is a good character. He's a fun character. The antics work in this world. The honey, I shrunk the kids. Honey, I blew up the kids' antics. They work. But my problem with it is, is twofold. One, coming off Infinity War, especially with the, the dreary ending at the end of Infinity War when everybody snapped away, we transition right to this more comedic piece than, than something we've seen in recent years. And then how many storylines are in this thing? There's a lot. There's too many.
1: Well, there's no my my big note, and I we we seem to I seem to keep coming up with this note when we keep talking about, especially the earlier Marvel movies, is that there's no villain, mm-hmm. there's just obstacles. Yes, and I know that uh, I don't know if I wrote the note down, but I know that Peyton Reed describes this movie as part action film, part rom com. I don't need that Elmore Leonard type film where there are villains and antagonists and Roblox for the heroes. I mean that to me, that's not what I want out of this movie. But whatever, it's not mine. It's yeah. fine. But it's there's no big villain. There's just... We're just doing a bunch of little things. I know he's trying to say like an Elmore Leonard type film is is something where it's almost like a film noir, almost like a he's solving a crime, like a detective, yes. a, which means you have usually in those type of pulp detective novels, you have two cases that don't relate to each other and then they do relate. That's not what happens in this movie. So,
0: so let's break them down. You had the J, save Janet from the Quantum Realm story. Right. You had uh, Bill Foster and Ghost, right? Uh, Bill Foster being the man who rescued Ghost, or, or the the woman that would be Ghost, right, uh, from a, an accident, and then he he raised her and is trying to bring back her something. I guess, humanity or inability, her, her transparency. Or well, something. they they like. ended at the
1: end of the movie. Like I'm going to see a Disney Plus show with them,
0: right? Which <laughs> I got I got a note on that. And then you had Walton Goggins doing something. To be fair, Walton Goggins is good. He's great, but. Yeah, he doesn't fit in the no. movie. And then you had Scott on the run tricking the FBI. Mm-hmm. You said it's a rom-com. Where's the rom-com? Well, Where's the rom?
1: Right. <laughs> <laughs> well, I guess you're supposed to get that from Wasp and Ant-Man, but you talk about the family dynamic this time. We're not dealing with the family dynamic of Scott's family. They're there, which I don't need them there because I don't need to keep seeing them hugging all the time. Like like, that was like the big joke. It's funny. It's great. You know, but like, and I understand that you have his daughter there because his daughter is very important to him uh, as it should be Mm -hmm. in this movie. But I know that that sets up the future of, of Ant-Man's franchise. So I understand why the daughter is is prevalent there, but you know, his ex-wife and her husband and, and that kind of stuff. Okay. But this is more about the Van Dynes or the Pims or whatever their family dynamic. Mm-hmm. It's tough. It's a tough movie to, could you watch it? And then you're like, all right, you I saw are. Ant-Man and the
0: Wasp. It was good. Yeah. It was fun. I had yeah. a good time going to the theater for it. But then you, the more you think about it, the more you're like, what just happened?
1: When we had originally talked about, Oh, you know, I got Ant-Man and the Wasp next. This is off, off mic. I know we were sitting there going oh, I can't remember what's in it I can't and and I knew I remembered the ending but I totally forgot about Ghost I knew Lawrence Fishburne was in the movie but I totally forgot about the whole Ghost subplot
0: yeah I remembered Ghost was in it but like I don't remember her. I didn't remember her background I didn't remember how her story concluded aside from the teaser at the end of this movie where they go right. to the quantum realm to get her the quantum juice <laughs> <The> and <quantum juice. laughs> the quantum juice and then she's going to use it to stabilize her abilities but then she disappears. And what happened to her for the five years in between this movie and end game? Well, did that's one of my, away?
1: that's one of my notes when we start talking about right. the MCU, but yes, uh, I, that's one of my notes here. Um, I and mean, we could bring that up later. Yeah, but we talk that but Did you notice that? I I thought this was pretty cool, but like, fishburn's son plays him in the younger scene no. so langston Fishburne, who's an actor plays the younger version of bill foster when foster goes and sees you know the ghost as a child <sighs> i can't remember what's her name they don't, what you, i don't even i don't know her real name in the movie ava ava maybe okay yeah but it, they digitally make him look like his father just to kind of like add yeah. little things but that's actually his son oh that's cool yeah i thought that's that was nice. interesting yeah that's cool um that's how it should be but you didn't need to digitally alter him just it, we could get it <laughs> He's his son. He looks like him. What do you think about the de aging effects that they used on on Michelle Pfeiffer and Michael Douglas? I thought they were really well done. Here's my thing with de aging, and it's the same thing for uh, my same comment I have for when I watched The Irishman. You can de age faces, but you cannot de age walking. Yes, and you can tell. And listen, we're all going to get old, and that's great. We all live long lives, but you can tell that Michael Douglas he's walking like an older man. Yes, that's all I want to yeah. say. But so you can't. You can fake it to a point,
0: right? Which yeah. is why they. I feel like they did the opposite in The Mandalorian. So, this is spoilers after The Mandalorian season Uh-oh. two finale. Luke Skywalker shows up and he does? they have the person. Yeah. Uh, he, he comes and rescues Baby Yoda. And who knows what's going to happen with Disney throwing away their merchandise plan right there in The Mandalorian. What? Well, you
1: don't know if, uh, first of all, it's Grogu. And you don't, it's not Baby Yoda, and you don't know if he's coming back. Or not.
0: We don't know if he's coming back.
1: But, you know, I love how people are all worried that Ben Solo is going to kill him. <laughs>
0: <laughs> they're just going to erase those movies. Uh, um, they don't exist. No, so but they had another, they had a younger actor come in and do yep. the fight scenes that Luke does. And then they put Mark Hamill's face yeah. on that kid. And so that's why it looks a little weird and awkward because they're placing another person's face on there. That's the two sides of it. You have the faces look better in Ant-Man and the Wasp, but they don't move like young people. Yep. Or you have the movement of a young person, and the face looks a little yeah creepy.
1: Yeah. No. This isn't brand new. This is I remember when Titanic came out, and the scene when Rose and Jack are running down the hallway, uh, and there's lights flashing and that's flooding. And this is towards the end, and they're running. That's not them. You if you watch it again, they actually put their faces on the two act and the two stunt actors running through there. And you can tell if you look at their faces, you can tell they look just just look off. And it's, so this isn't new. I <laughs> so didn't this, know that. Yeah. Uh, so this is yeah, this isn't new at all. So I I don't mind it. I, I it's a nice way to have your actors there performing it, and you don't have to worry about finding young lookalikes. But then again, that's okay too. Yeah. I'm okay with bringing in somebody that's not necessarily just. This is him as a young person. OK, we all look different when we get older. It's it's completely fine. I, I can, we can handle
0: it. I think the problem to keep it on a Star Wars one is solo. Sure. We know what Harrison Ford looks like as a young person. And then they come in and take this kid who not only doesn't look like Harrison Ford. Here we go. Can't act. Anyway. <laughs> Dude, that one. OK,
1: listen, I, I knew that was coming. I get you. I get you there. But I will say you should watch the Coen Brothers movie he was in.
0: Who? He, the one that... Uh, the, the kid. The guy. The kid that plays solo. Yeah. He's
1: in... Um, uh, it's the one... Hail Caesar. That's a fun movie. He's good in that. He's good in that. So, so okay. I, I... Yeah. So in the other podcast that I do, Pat, called Forgotten Cinema, uh, I always talk about how it's not always the actor's fault if something... If he doesn't look good or she doesn't look good on screen. You You have to put your trust in the director and you also have to rely on your director and the people around you to help you deliver the best performance. So... In all fairness to that, you know, it might not be exactly his It wasn't his fault. just on
0: him. Uh, absolutely. It was absolutely. on Lucasfilm. That, that, um, that, that being said. You know. <laughs> but coming back to this. Yeah, so what are we talking about again? Ant-Man, Ant-Man and, Man and the
1: Wasp. The yet another Mandalorian podcast will be out uh, in 2022.
0: Uh. <laughs> that's a joke. <laughs> Maybe. That, that's a joke because I will not be doing that. Yes. Yeah. Alright, so sticking back to Ant-Man and the Wasp. Do you remember when you first saw this? And No. Okay, I saw it in the theater. Yeah but I don't... Rem- go ahead. What are you we going to ask about? No, I was going to say coming off of Infinity War. Yeah. Was this too jarring to go from that to the comedy or yep. was it a good palate cleanser? I think everybody
1: coming off Infinity War wants to see Endgame, wants to see right. the end of that. So this, having to go through this and then having to go through Captain Marvel before we can get to Endgame is a little tough. Oh, Ant-Man and Wasp are out. All right, let's go watch that. That's what it's like. It's not like, oh, Infinity War's out. Oh, I want to catch that.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: It's nothing like that. It was just, it's out. Let's watch it. So. Yeah. I I don't know if if jarring is not the word, but maybe it's not what you want to see right now with the Marvel logo in front of it. You Mm want to see Endgame. Yeah. So, yeah, it's no. And that's not this movie's fault. But again, both these movies, Ant-Man and Ant-Man and the Wasp, just if they weren't in the Marvel Universe, if they weren't an MCU film, I wonder if they would be better. Better received, better, Mm. better put together. You know, we don't have to force MCU nonsense in there.
0: Yeah. On the contrary, if it wasn't for the MCU, would we see a movie like this anymore? Well, wasn't... An action Ed, comedy...
1: Well, wasn't Edgar Wright working on Ant-Man before Marvel got and bought by Disney? Gonna,
0: they were going to... Well, he was working on it as part of the original 10... Okay. Or the original six movies or whatever right. that slate was right. that they had made the agreement with uh, J.P. Morgan or Morgan Stanley or whoever. <laughs> this is your own no, man. Uh-huh. <laughs> J.P. Morgan, whoever. I forget. Edgar Wright was working on that one and... He had been working on it prior to the launch of Marvel Studios proper. Right. But then it was going to get tied in and it just never really worked. Right. And I don't know the, the full story behind that. I think there was a lot to do with the, the Marvel hands in the in the pot piece of it. Mm-hmm. But it's also Edgar Wright. You look at his movies. They're his movies. They are his independent movies. They're his own stories that he's telling. I can't think of any that he's, aside from Scott Pilgrim, that he's adapted He's playing in somebody else's sandbox, and when he does that and doesn't get the free reign that, say, he got on Scott Pilgrim, right? It's a little bit more challenging for a director like him,
1: right? No, I hear that. So I want to dive. One of my other big, comp- not I don't want to say complaints, but one of my big issues with the movie is what's the story here? Like we talked about, there's no bad guys, there's no villain, there isn't a villain. Like we see, we we meet Bill Foster, and, and I know that we'll get to Bill Foster in the next segment. Is he the bad guy, or do we? Because then they make him out to be the bad guy and then he's not the bad guy and he's still doing things towards the end until finally he just is like, no, I want to save you. Uh, you know, when he's trying to get the quantum energy to help ghosts or what have you.
0: You know what I mean? Yeah. And then his ghost, the bodyguard, kind of like heavy who... Right. We're supposed to feel sympathy for and then maybe not, but then we do. and Right. And then the whole quantum realm stuff.
1: There's a couple of references in terms of when Sonny Birch, who, who is played by Goggins in this, and I didn't even put him in the first part of who's in this movie. So, Walton Goggins plays Sonny Birch. He, he talks about quantum energy is the future. And I'm just like, it is? Since when? When did I ever heard about that? And then later on, they start talking about how, you know, the, they want to get the quantum energy to help. It's all about quantum stuff. I and mean, even Scott Lang, uh, Paul Rudd, has a great line in this where he's yeah. like, did you guys just put quantum in front of quantum in front of everything and you know and
0: then when you look at the title for the third ant-man movie yeah. which is going to be called quantum mania yeah, exactly it's kind of like yeah yeah we do yeah.
1: jana van dyme has a well it's actually paul line because she's inhabiting his body at one point he tells them that the probability fields will shift it won't come back for another century yeah. and i'm thinking what well i wanted to pause the movie and be like, what, what what does that mean like wh- where did that come from
0: Plus, it doesn't make sense when you get to the end of the movie and he dives back into the quantum realm a week later after the event. So when you go into the TV, the the probability fields will shift. Uh, How was he able to jump back in in a week later then to go get some quantum juice?
1: It's just it it was just really a line thrown in there to give you a ticking clock or give you some kind of more stakes, higher stakes but if you sit back and after a second watch you watch it again you're just like that doesn't make any sense yeah. that's why is this line in there
0: it's exactly what you said it's to give it a reason it's to, to give it some some force behind what they're doing right to to make it to pressure otherwise but, we could have spent seven you know seven days with these people in this movie just watching them tinker away
1: no i hear you and then there's a bunch there's a couple other things that i'm just i i shake my head in terms of you know you bring you bring in bill foster and you meet him in the beginning, and he's this—he's a bad guy. And then he disappears for an hour; he is nowhere to be found. And then he shows up again. So that's a little bit too much, and that's probably because you have to get into Sonny Birch stuff. But and
0: Sonny Birch also disappears for—he like does 45 too. Minutes. He does
1: too. He shows up when, which is a funny scene. This is like there are moments in this movie that are really good. Yeah, the scene when he goes to interrogate Luis and they have the truth serum and that whole, that whole thing is funny. The Baba Yaga. Yeah. The Baba Yaga stuff, which is really John Wick, everyone, but uh, (laughs) but that's good too. Like all that stuff is good. You know, I finally get a them reference. Uh, I took two movies to get to that, to to get them to watch the big ant movie that I was just to watch them, uh, which is great too. But then there's the scene when they bust out, when Scott busts out Hank and hope from jail And they walk out the door of the FBI and they drive off. And Birch's cronies just happen to be outside the FBI. What are they waiting for? Do they know that this is happening? And I know I'm waiting for someone to be like, well, you know, they were following Scott. Like, that's great. I got to see that in the movie. Don't, I can't assume that. Yeah. So that, that bugged me. And then finally, I think I've, I've, I've discovered, I think this has become cliche, this moment in movies and correct me if I'm wrong. Something extraordinary happens outside. Either you're outside the window or... I'm not looking. Oh, it's yeah. behind me. Yeah. And I'm totally engrossed in whatever I'm doing. And I miss it. And I'm talking about when he's
0: big. Yeah. yeah and, that's and he's, a, he's yeah. going down the street and the people are in the Starbucks. That has been done way too much. Nobody is that engrossed in anything right you now. You would have heard of that. Yeah. yeah. You're, you're, you might be, oh, the, the people in Starbucks are writing their, their next great American script. Ant-Man 3? Yeah. They're, they're, writing, the, they're, they're writing their new uh, novel or they're writing their new script. And, and then... Kudos to anybody who can do that, who's, who's not checking their phone. As a
1: writer, I will tell you right now, we will take any kind of distraction half the time Plus <laughs> up away from the computer. And the last thing I wanted to add is I had to hear about the damn Sokovia chords again. There was. I, I knew had was to hear it. When Jimmy Woo comes in and starts talking about, you know, the Sokovia chords you violated, I'm just
0: like, enough of these things. <laughs> oh,
1: God, I hated them.
0: Yeah. I knew that was gonna come, <laughs> and then we don't we don't really talk about him ever again because I guess the world the world ends and nobody cares. Well,
1: this yeah because we after well we can get into that later in terms of where this movie sits within the MCU. But do you have anything else? I guess with the with the story itself.
0: Yeah, I think the to, to, one of the po- points you uh, made was when they were escaping the the FBI office the the jail there. Yeah, in the the. I guess, uh, Sonny Burke's cronies were outside. Yep. Am I making this up, or was there a moment in the story where the, one of the FBI guys is corrupt? Yeah. Do we ever follow... Does he ever get caught?
1: No. So what happens is he... Which is really easy. They shrink the building. Yep. And then he gra- He just walks... First of all, there's about 60 agents all over the place. And he just goes in there and grabs it out of the back of the van, The the little mini... The, building the mini building
0: the shrink building right building.
1: yes and then he takes it and he goes to put it in his trunk and then he's uh knocked over the head he's he's knocked out by uh not goggins but by a ghost okay and then ghost steals the and that's it and then that's there's it. a there's a moment where they say you hear over the radio oh we have an agent down and the building's missing like you hear that but that's Wait. it okay that's it. after that you don't hear anything that's it's- goggins contacting the fbi yeah Cause that's when he ta- he calls him after talking to Luis, and he says, Hey, you know, you want to have a, you want to be, you want to get a promotion. And then he goes and Jimmy Woo's practicing magic.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Which again, we brought this up with the Ragnarok film where everybody is supposed to be funny. Right. Or guardians of the galaxy or one of the two where Both everybody's supposed to be funny. This has another one of those moments where everybody's supposed to be funny. Yeah. And it, it's, the little trio, the the security, the ex-con group with louise and and the, the two other guys, they're a good, fun little group. Yeah. they can be funny they're 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 trying to get their stuff together and they're they're doing their own thing right <laughs> scott is is funny mm-hmm. that's that's who he is. That's his personality. He's a little you know off kilter there. but Jimmy Wu doesn't need to be funny. Walton Goggins, who is fantastic in most things except for this <laughs> is doesn't need mm-hmm. to be. Another funny guy. He's aloof in this, yeah. yeah. And he just I don't know. He it's it's one of those things where again, everybody needs to have a funny moment. Yeah. But the no, you don't. Yeah. You well, he just need to be like your character.
1: Mm-hmm. He's he, the only real serious person in this movie is Hank Pym, and he's the same way he was
0: in the first one. Yeah. He's crotchety and you know, he, but he's the he's the the straight man to right. everybody else. Well, in this movie. But
1: he's but see here's the thing. He's in a more so he's in a different movie. And and, so it's, and for the lack of a better term, oh Michelle Pfeiffer's in a different movie. Vanjie Lily has to bridge the gap between the t- yeah. like. There's like there's that core of I want to get my mother back. That you know deep. What's the word I'm looking for?
0: It's it's. Familial. It's it's about rebuilding the family bonds that they're they're putting together. You know, the, the Van Dines, the the Pims. Right.
1: It's putting the family back together, but it's more. It's a serious part. It's a serious. Yeah. And then you have Scott and like Scott and the gang, and they're all like in this like Woo-hoo, having a good like. To, to I will say to the credit of the creator, the writer, and the directors that I know that they made a concerted effort to make Scott Lang not as goofy as he was in the yes. fr- in the first one. And that is true. He does, but he doesn't do a lot in this. He does, he has a couple action scenes, but not as many as Wasp. No, like there is a lot more stuff with Wasp. Right.
0: So like, this movie should have been Wasp, and, Wasp, and the Man, Man. Yeah. In terms of priority here, and and I think that's, uh, it would probably would even better if they, even further minimize Scott's role and made yeah. it really about Wasp. Yeah. If they cut out the FBI stuff and didn't make it so. You you added that second ticking time bomb where Scott had to get back to his house.
1: What's the deal that he cut with the FBI? He didn't give him the suit. He said it was destroyed. He didn't give him Hank because he says he doesn't know where they are. So what's the deal that he cut with the FBI? I think he just
0: said, I'm not going to be a superhero again.
1: Okay. I won't put the suit on. I won't put the suit on. I won't be a superhero anymore. Okay. Which is,
0: uh, I don't know. How do you
1: cut a deal with the FBI when you're in a super secret prison that nobody knows about in the middle of the ocean? That Cap already came and busted everybody. We'll get to that. All right. You know what? Let's 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 yeah. well, let's move on to that
0: MCU portion of that. Well, I think I think Cap busts them out. And then and then what? Just says no. Well, the look. FBI comes back to his house. Oh, come on. He I busts him. Out. He, he busts
1: him out. He says, like, you guys are on the
0: let's wait. Let's say half of them, them are on the run. Yeah, we'll wait. Till let's, let's save let's, the MCU. OK, so let's
1: let's go into the comics versus the movie. Where do you want to start off? Just from the top?
0: Um, uh, you want to actually I want to give you the quantum realm, the microverse first. Alright. It's, it's the key part of the Janet. Okay. and Before you do that, I just want to ask a question. Yeah. The Wasp was
1: always in the original Ant-Man, right? Or did the Wasp get introduced later?
0: I don't know if she was the first right there when, when Hank Pibbs' character first showed up, but it was very close to okay. it. Right, we'll like she's ahead. always been tied to... So there's been Janet and Hank, and they've been tied together, husband and wife, divorced, right. not so divorced, whatever. There's been new Wasp in Ant-Man, obviously with Scott Lang and a few of the other ones that we talked about in our last Ant-Man episode. Right. But there's always some tie-in to Ant-Man and the Lost. Okay. Or, you know, especially Hank and Janet.
1: So tell me about the quantum realm.
0: So the quantum realm, or as it's known in the comics, is the microverse. And it's essentially a collection of alternate dimensions that you can access only by shrinking down. So it's not a realm where small, like tiny, minuscule beings exist. You have to get small to go through the door. Okay. To go through all this stuff. So, and it's filled with various worlds out there. And the most famous one, and this is where I found this is interesting, is the Micronauts. And so the Micronauts are essentially they were a group of characters created for a toy line back in the 70s and 80s when, you know, we didn't really care about plastics and and people played with action figures. (laughs) So everybody, you know, if anybody's looked into the action figure world, everything had an action figure. I'm sure you had a ton, I had a ton growing up. And so you wanted to tie the action figure into some other form of media, whether it's a comic book or a TV show, to help the sales. So the Micronauts were characters created for the toy line for Mego in the 1970s. And so they take place in this microscopic microverse where the princess and prince of Homeworld is what it's called, a commander, and then later a character who would join the Guardians of Galaxy Bug, join together... To fight a black armored villain uh, that slaughtered the rest of the royal family. So if you're getting a lot of Star Wars, (laughs) yeah, Marvel as they did back then, they published a ton of the tie-in comics to help you know promote the toys. So it was actually the Marvel comics when Hasbro attained the rights to what would become the Transformers. They published the comic books and started the whole. They basically built an mythology around the transformers okay and so they published the, the comic books for micronauts and they eventually would cross over with other characters like the x-men and the avengers they didn't last very long <laughs> toys and cell the actual comic book ran much longer than the action figure lines did so eventually marvel lost the publishing rights to the micronauts and so they've been picked up by image comics devils do publishing and most recently idw publishing idw announced back in 2015 that they now own the publishing rights and we're we're working with an agreement with hasbro who still owns the toy rights to these characters and this is why because term microverse is tied in with the micronauts they cannot use the microverse name in the movies oh okay They can still use it in the comics but they can't use it in the movies okay then we wants a deeper dive on the micro. <laughs> deeper than this? <laughs> yes. I, I love the, the YouTube channel Toy Galaxy. I think I've sent you a couple of them. You have. They go and do like a it's like an eight minute video on micronauts, and it's really good and talks about the history of the characters, the creators, and everything. So check that one out. I think it's it's really good. But technically, in the Marvel Comics proper, the microverse premiered way back in the 1944 1940s with captain american bucky when they when they journeyed there
1: they got they shrunk they captain shrunk down okay
0: yeah. in the more modern comics it's appeared in the fantastic four ant-man and a few other things dr doom the villain of fantastic four decided to rule the microverse for some time <laughs> for some reason <laughs> for some reason because he couldn't rule else. i'm gonna else. rule this tiny yeah. galaxy um so yeah that's that's the microverse i think i think the the story about the Mego toy line was it was fun yeah interesting.
1: that's interesting i didn't realize that they it's they couldn't use that word that's yeah. why it's called quantum realm and no, all that they just, that, all they that just stuff. throw
0: quantum in front of everything quantum energy it's the it's, next big thing it, uh, <laughs> is, i'm gonna we're not a licensed investor or anything like that but invest in quantum energy <laughs>
1: <laughs> all right so that's interesting right, so let's talk about ghost yes so in the comics two things ghost was not a female correct he was a male and he never, or in the comic, he never fought Ant-Man. Also correct. <laughs> so I have here that Ghost was part of the Iron Man's rogues gallery. And his power came from the suit, not the quantum realm or the microverse. He became, an, but he became an anti-hero after joining a team of superhero humans called the Thunderbolt. So a lot to unpack there, Pat. It,
0: all true things.
1: Tell me about the Ghost.
0: So Ghost first appeared in the the Iron Man comics in the late 80s. Um, well, I think it was one of the runs that we recommended earlier, uh, the run by David Micheline and and Bob Layton. You are correct. Ghost is not a female character. I don't mind the gender bending in this movie. I don't care about that. That's fine. No big deal. It is, you know, whatever. But this is the first time Ghost has ever been a female character. So whether it was in the comic books, the original Iron Man animated series from the 90s, uh, the Iron Man armored adventures that was on Nickelodeon for a while, or the Spider-Man and Avengers assembled cartoons. I think, and you can correct me if I'm wrong on this, this might be the second female villain. I know we it talked is. about Hela.
1: This is the second female antagonist in the MCU after Hela. Yeah. Yeah. I think they needed to. to Do you think they'd purpose- <laughs> this as uh, they were? This is a concerted effort on their part. I think it was. Okay. I mean, yeah. that's fine. I mean, whatever. Yeah, uh my, Fine actress. I think I, I don't have. I don't have any umbrage with whatever the goes. I will say, though, I thought it was interesting that that they didn't use that her problem was related to the quantum realm and yes. not not the suit wasn't her like you know what i mean so they didn't make her they really didn't make her a bad guy or a villain no they, they gave made her,
0: poor, her she was an obstacle
1: right again she was she's, an obstacle. she's someone that we have to be sympathetic to which i right. don't
0: understand that choice yes
1: like why just why not just make her the bad one
0: right The um, because in the comics we never we never get ghost backstory right we believe you know there's there's rumors that he may have been like an it engineer uh who turned to crime to and i quote counter the oppressive rise of capitalism and destroy economic pillars everyone's problem with capitalism i don't know (laughs) Um, don't you want to
1: make money (laughs) i think so
0: so ghost attacked a lot of the famed marvel corporations whether it was stark it was uh, Roxxon Energy Roxxon Corporation, which is and then uh, an Italian subsidiary yeah. of Justin Hammers.:
1: Oh, nice. yeah. So <laughs> but they took they took a villain from the comic and made him part of the ghost backstory in this movie. So Elias Starr in the comics is Egghead.: Yes. But they took him, and now they have in, this, in, in the MCU, in the movies. They have made him linked with Ghost, yeah, which is not true.
0: This is not true at all. Okay. First, this is a Easter egg, plain and simple. It's mm-hmm. a throwaway character that they gave a name from the comics. But you're right. Then they tie it into a bigger character, and now, if we ever, if Eggman, egg, Egghead ever comes back to life somehow, right? Now yeah. it's tied into Ghost, which he won't, because right. as soon as I heard the name Egghead, I
1: thought Batman.
0: Yes. I'm glad you brought that up. So there are two, so there is Egghead in the Marvel universe, and then there's Egghead, the villain in uh, who is most famous for being in the Batman nineteen sixties. Played
1: by Vincent Price.
0: Yes. I'll just give you kind of the background on on Egghead on the last star. He was created by the familiar group Lee, Kirby, uh, Larry Leiber. Uh, he's a scientist for the government atomic program who happened to have an egg-shaped head. <laughs> swear to god no just, just just wikipedia you
1: happen to have an egg-shaped <laughs> head my man
0: <laughs> everything all right up there yeah. you wear a hat um so after being fired for corporate espionage oh gosh he turned to a life of crime that's usually what happens as one does and so he regularly fought wasp and ant-man to the point where he actually became obsessed with hank pym why anybody would get obsessed with hank pym I don't know. Well, he's kind of a jerk in the movie, so <laughs> right. I mean,
1: I can understand if he's a jerk in the comic. I lo- I, my favorite part, you know, I was uh, fired for corpion Espionage, but then I went up to Vermont and ran this B&B and now life's been great. Like, I, wh- where's that
0: story? <laughs> a, go ahead. I'm sorry. He wanted to, Egghead wanted to prove that he was smarter than Hank Pym. Here we go. Went so far that he kidnapped his own, I, I can't remember if it was his own, his own niece or his own no- daughter. This is, let me let me make sure this is clear. Egghead captured His own niece, okay. say, for argument's sake. Not Hank Pym's niece. It was Egghead captured his own niece. Is he stupid? (laughs) He's supposed to be smarter. So who lost her arm in an attack. Okay. And then in seemingly turning over a new leaf, he built a prosthetic arm for her. Why anyone would let this man near this girl again, I don't know. But that new prosthetic arm was booby-trapped that would then blow up if Ant-Man didn't do Egghead's bidding. And the only reason that Ant-Man has any stake in this is because he's a hero who's supposed to not let anybody die. But he has no relationship to this girl whatsoever. <laughs>
1: yeah, that's that's a little weird.
0: Yeah, Ant-Man eventually beat him and, and beat him several times. He eventually goes on to be not so much of a, a, a main villain as just like a, a sidekick character. Yeah, I gotcha. So you. He, he, ends he, up, shows up. Um, he ends up building... Weapons and other tech for uh, Cross Industries. Like Darren the Tinkerer? From, like the Tinkerer. Nice, nice. See, yeah, I'm learning.
1: I, I talked about, briefly blew past this part of the last note about Ghost because I wanted to talk about Egghead. But yeah. what are the Thunderbolts?
0: Oh, the Thunderbolts, yeah. yeah. In, the Marvel, uh, in the Marvel comics in the mid-90s, all the heroes apparently died. So they disappeared, they died, they went away. And so this, this group came in. And so that was the Thunderbolts. And they were supposed to be these heroes. And so everybody's like, they're replacement Avengers, basically. They're saving the day. They're doing everything. And what's really cool about this, and it's lost a lot of the the pizzazz to it that it probably had back when it came out because there wasn't as much of the internet back then. Marvel kept the storyline completely under wraps. And in the last page, you reveal that the main hero of the Thunderbolts is actually Baron Zemo. And this is the masters of evil in disguise. So they're, they're working on gaining the public's trust and then would, you know, attempt to take over the world or gotcha. do whatever they do.
1: Like Pinky and the brand. Yes. Gotcha. So
0: that was the first Thunderbolts team. Uh, there's been other Thunderbolts teams afterwards. One of the more famous ones is during the superhero civil war, when uh, the government decided to employ supervillains to capture any of the, the heroes that are outstanding. So when Spider-Man switches sides in the Civil War, he goes from being on Team Tony to being on Team Cap. He then somehow becomes a fugitive, which Mm -hmm. I'm not really sure because he's registered and his identity is public. (laughs) But he's going to work with the fugitive, uh, the other fugitives. So he gets chased down by uh, Venom, Goblin, a whole host of other supervillains, and they they almost kill him. Mm -hmm. So now... They're just like a, a general team of, of anti-heroes. Gotcha. Uh, you know they, They're just on the edge. Uh, I know Bucky, the Winter Soldier, has been a part of them for a time, but that's that's who they are now. They're just constantly reinventing and telling stories with them.
1: Gotcha. The other big thing in this movie is that we have met Bill Foster. Yes, we have. And so I know we've talked about Bill Foster a little bit in Civil War when we did that show. I know who Bill Foster is because we've in conversations with you in this <laughs> podcast, so... I guess, talk about Bill Foster, but also, do you like how he's used in the movie? How about that?
0: Okay. Let me, I'll give the background Yeah, give it the first. background because because
1: you're going to give this huge background and I'm, all and I'm sitting there going, that's not what the movie was about, <laughs>
0: but go ahead. Uh, so first of all, let me get this very clear. He has no connection to Ghost whatsoever. So Bill Foster was created by Don Heck and Stan Lee, first appearing as just Bill Foster in Avengers number 32. He didn't take on the name of Black Goliath until 1975. uh, And he's gone by other names, Giant Man and Goliath. He was just introduced as a um, a biochemist who was hired to help Giant Man, Hank Pym, who was stuck at 10 foot tall and, and he was trying to shrink him back down to normal size. So he sticks around the Avengers just as like a minor, minor supporting character for years. He gains the formula eventually to the Pym particles and is able to grow to 15 feet. I forget. Do you remember what his? Remember they have this whole like measuring contest. Yeah, in the movie. Yeah. Do yes, you know he, what he
1: says? Because he tells him it's Project Goliath, and the yep. as the biggest he got was twenty-one feet. Oh, okay. And then Scott was like sixty-five feet. Yeah.
0: yeah. All right. Because this this is I had fifteen, and that's that's what I could find in the comics. Was his original. Okay. Movie. So he's kind of like an on again, off again uh, hero working with the Avengers. He actually, work, works with the CDC. And uses other various government, you know, Marvel, you know, agencies in the Marvel universe. When he was fighting crime, aside from working with the Pims, he he tended to, to be more of the street level type with Iron Fist and Blue Cage and the Falcon. Eventually he, you know, he he gives up an identity and then he says, I'm gonna be black Goliath, and then I'm gonna be giant man when when Hank Pym is is out of the picture. Then he comes back and he's just Goliath. Uh one thing to note about that is any African-American character in comics always had black in front of their names just (laughs) to make sure that you knew. (laughs) So whether it was black lightning, it was black Panther Falcon being one of the, one of the few differences uh, in power man, Luke Cage, but uh, black Vulcan was another character invented in the super friends. So this is not just Marvel. It's It's not just Marvel. It was everybody when he's more modernized in the later in the two thousands and everything, he just goes by Goliath. Right. And so he is, and we touched on this in the civil war episode, He's killed in the uh, superhero battle by the Thor clone Ragnarok. Right. He is stuck in that size. Whatever size he gets up to, he's stuck like that. They cannot shrink him once he's dead. And so Tony has to buy like 38 plots of, of <laughs> cemetery land to, to bury him in. And it's so that's like the big moment. And to answer your first question, uh, no, I don't like how he's. Bill Foster is one of the nicest guys in the Marvel Universe. He's one of the smartest guys. He's not he got asked to help and he comes and helps. He's not right. there to say, Oh, I'm smarter than Hank Pym. I don't like this. Okay. I don't like this at all. I think they could have done so much better with him mm-hmm. with Lawrence Fishburne as the character. I don't know. I don't even know if you need him in this movie.
1: Yeah. If I want was, to see yeah. him for
0: the next movie, save him for the next. Well, movie. if you're
1: going to introduce Bill Foster, then you should use Bill Foster as more of a side piece. Yeah. You know, you shouldn't have him like this. I mean, if he's a big part of the comics and, you know that a lot of people who love Marvel comics are going to want to see Bill Foster. I I think using him in this way kind of lessens him and then you don't get what you want to get out of that. And so if if they do use him, I would, I would, is he on for the next one? Is he, I don't know.
0: Yeah. And I I think the problem that they have with this is I like Lawrence Fishburne as an actor, but if you were to put him in the suit and make him giant man, make him Goliath and and grow him to 15 feet, 21 feet tall, whatever it is, He's gonna have that same problem of young young Michael Douglas trying to walk and move. Oh yeah, no. And so absolutely. They, when they try to tie him to the older Hank Pym storyline, yeah,
1: but what, I think he he loses that ability to be a superhero. Well, let me ask you this: in the in the comics, do that? Does he have a son?
0: I don't remember. Okay, so then screw it.
1: Just give him his son. Have his son. Have Langston Fishburne, who obviously can act. Have him come in as his son, and yeah. and have him team up with Scott. So you can have that moment where you have. Goliath and and Ant Man together yeah. doing stuff. I mean, it is what it is. That's the decision they made, and and I'm I'm not somebody who has any kind of history with the comic, so I, that's why I wanted to ask you if you would
0: like the way he was portrayed not in this really. movie. Yeah, yeah never. Really. But do you like the character that they did put on screen, knowing nothing, about nothing the about comic, nothing about the comic?
1: I, I didn't. I didn't mind it. I just didn't. I didn't. Like I said, he disappears, and his motivation is to help her. But there's really nothing else. I don't know anything else about, like I don't know anything else about him and Hank Pym's relationship Mm -hmm. other than that. They don't like each other and they never really have better moment than when he's just like, when I get back, we'll, we'll figure something out. That's not good enough. I need, I need a longer conversation between Hank Pym and Bill Foster, because clearly a lot of stuff happened between them. And all I've gotten is backstory about it and no actual conversation between the two of them. It didn't last more than five lines. Yeah. So Again, Hank Pym is in a different film and that somewhat more serious movie that the Van Dynes and Pym is in is getting overshadowed by the whole Ant-Man franchise yeah. feeling where it's supposed to be fun. The ending when Goggins is chasing, walking around with the, Birch is running around with the building. What's yeah. his plan there? To get on the ferry and do what? We can get into the MCU part. No, no, no I'm going to get into too. Sonny Birch next. Oh, go ahead. Then dive into Birch because I know that there's a, go dive into Birch. Go ahead.
0: Yeah. So he's one of the newer characters to pop up in this movie, newer uh, comic book characters to pop up. But he first appeared in an Iron Man comic. He was an Iron Man guy and he came in the the early 2000s. He's more of a corporate stooge. Mm -hmm. So he's he's not a a low level bad guy trying
1: to be a restaurant guy.
0: No, and he's more like uh, if if I was to kind of describe what he looks like in the comics. I think more Christian Bale as Dick Cheney, yep. Jeremy Swift as Higgins and Ted Lasso. Yep, I think Jeremy Swift as Higgins. That's the perfect image of him, straight from the comics. And I love Walton Goggins. You know, I love Wal- Walton Goggins. I don't shut up about the Shield. Everybody should go watch the Shield.
1: Uh, yeah, seriously, shut up.
0: <laughs> <laughs> but I feel like he mailed this one and Tomb Raider in like at the same time.
1: Gotcha, because it's the same character. Well, what, listen, I, I don't fault any actor for when they get their ch- shot. In terms of they do stuff, and then all of a sudden, all the scripts come their yeah. way. I don't anyone that's worked in the business for so long that struggled to just say yes to everything. Now you do that. Yeah. I mean,
0: that's that he also knows go which get one he paid. Can mail in yeah, too. go he get mail paid. Because people are still going to go see. Yeah, he can mail yeah. in Tomb Raider.
1: He can have fun on this. but He's probably yeah. on this movie for what three weeks, four weeks. Have probably, fun, yeah. move on. Yeah, no, go yeah. get go get yourself paid. That's absolutely yep. fine with me.
0: The comic book character is the chairman of Cross Technologies. Again, we're tying it back into Darren Cross and Cross Industries. That was in the movie? This is in the comics. Oh, This okay. is in the comics. Okay, okay. And so he, is, he eventually becomes like a weapons procurer for the U.S. government. Listen, if you want <laughs> how people really feel about the U.S. government, look no further than comic books. Oh, Where you course. get like this guy, Lex Luthor becomes the president in the DC universe. People clearly think that politicians are corrupt. And it's reflected in the comic.
1: Books. I don't know where they ever get that uh, idea, but I have no idea
0: either. <laughs> comic book characters kind of similar to two characters that we've already met before. One is Justin Hammer; he's a weapons guy that works for the government, and two is uh, Gary Shandling's Senate character <laughs> from Iron Man Two.
1: Yeah. Oh, I'm trying to blanking on his name. Yeah, uh, go yeah, I ahead. I can't remember. Yeah.
0: either. You know, in the comics, after Tony reveals that he is Iron Man, in any of the mediums, whether it's Iron Man Two or it's the comic books, they try to get his technology so Birch is actually able to acquire some of the patents for older designs and then augment them into the Darren Cross's weaponry similar to what happens with Justin Hammer and Iron Man 2 when he showed those designs off to the Senate they malfunction yeah and and people die and and when that happens Sonny Birch kills himself there's no Jesus there's no running around downtown San Francisco I guess yeah there's San Francisco San, San Francisco like a crazy person. I don't know where they're coming up with this character. Again, it's another one of like, hey, we have this guy in the, in the comics. He's kind of like what you're trying to do. Let's just use his name. All right. But will we never find out, and I, I think I asked you before, who's he working for? Well, I have that note. Okay. Is so, this going to lead us into?
1: Well, I, it can, but I'd rather, I have a couple of other things that we, I want to talk about. Okay. Tell me about the wasp costume and what it references. And then I guess tell me about the ghost costume as well. I know it says it's. I my note is that it's based on a modern design, but the hood is from an '80s outfit design. Mm-hmm. So go ahead and talk about those
0: two. Yeah, with the Wasp costume, the first costume was a very kind of the, the classic kind of red and black, where she's wearing like a a black bodysuit with like a red dress frock. Is this thing. the same
1: costume that we saw hanging at the end of the first one? The Do one you know? she's wearing in this movie,
0: yeah, ish, like sort of. Okay, like, is it, it the same one that she wears in Endgame? Yes. Okay. Yeah. All right just about, I mean, they, they could always... I'm just curious. The thing with these movies is they, they tweak they, them a little bit right, so they could sell right. a new
1: action figure. Like Captain America is always different.
0: Yeah, yeah. I think if you look at the one at the end of the Ant-Man movie, that's like the the base for this design. Okay. And then they they make it work better. Like that was just put up there to look good on right. camera. Then they had to actually go and fit right. Evangeline Lilly and something that she could be in for, you know, 60% of the movie. <laughs> the first comic costume is this this red and black one. And then she has a, probably one of the more famous ones where it's like a full black bodysuit with yellow armor upper chest. Mm -hmm. That one came about, I believe, in the the Heroes Return era, which is in the mid 90s. And then uh, later she's had a full kind of yellow. It was almost like a combination of, or it was an updated version of the original 60s one, which was red and black. Now it was golden, golden black. She had a helmet that it was a lot more reminiscent of what we see. In the film, Mm -hmm. we never really get the full traditional colors with this costume. Like this has a lot of like greens and and red piping and kind of some blues and some olives and stuff. It's not pulling straight from the comic, but there's pieces of it that I think work kind of better than some of the other ones. Like if they were to put her in that traditional dress costume, it just looks bad. Even the one that Janet is wearing is an updated one that's the red and black one. That matches the Ant Man suit, the traditional, you know, the, the one that Hank and Scott wear. Yeah, I think they do their best, and I think this is one of the more better adaptations. Okay, you know, because they're pulling from a lot of different sources, but they're making their own. Where like the Ant Man suit is exactly what it looks like in the comics. Right, right. Captain America suits are very similar to what they look like. Iron Man suits, obviously, are just pulled. I think the way that female characters a lot of times are drawn in comics with what they wear doesn't work when you try to put them in the real world huh? right and oh then- yeah
1: no no doubt <laughs> yeah no doubt well so they- no all the times i see all the comments that you show me when i'm looking at female characters they're all conveniently have ta- tears on their uh clothes yeah, so like, yeah. they're
0: wearing basically yeah bathing suits ridiculous and so they gave her like, grow up real <laughs> all right um, tell me
1: about ghosts
0: this is a really good suit i like what they do with it okay you mentioned it before that it's not from uh, her powers don't come from the quantum realm right right from the suit the suit has this in the comics the the suit has this ability to uh trans you know go through walls and and teleport everything
1: right you think Uh, you'd want that tech
0: yeah (laughs) i know this is like a perfect straight from the, the pages and just put it right in there and then they made it you know they adapted it so that it worked for movement it worked for the actor to be in it and made it like you like you said the hood is is different from the, the the mask and the helmets that they've had right but it's always that white suit the white you know kind of body suit with the tech around it and the the mask with yeah. the, the eyes and everything and the goggles i think this is a great way to just bring that character in mm-hmm. again i think we should have just made it go walk their walls or teleport mm-hmm. or transport with all the other tech that's in this world i don't need the tie into the quantum realm
1: yeah I, I i can but you have to because that's that because yeah, they have to go after janet yeah.
0: but uh, that said i wouldn't have minded because you said it, you know oh you're supposed to get a disney plus show with these i would have preferred an actual netflix series with ghost where she's a shield assassin i think uh, that, like yeah. a jason bourne type well you know, blacklisted uh, assassin
1: okay and you're jumping to an mcu thing that i'm gonna bring up later okay. so okay no but i hear you but that's good but i want well, i have one last one last one yeah I want to talk about Agent Jimmy Woo because I didn't realize he was in the comics. And then I was like, oh, Agent, this is my note. Agent Jimmy Woo was from the comics, The Yellow Claw, 1957, and then Agents of Atlas. And then when I read that, I was like, is he not used appropriately in these comics? <laughs> He's not used appropriately Okay. So I, I had a feeling that he, we were, he was going to dive into some uh, inappropriate use of Jimmy Woo in the comics. So explain to me the whole Jimmy Woo stuff. So...
0: I kind of want to save Jimmy Woo for however we do oh, WandaVision. Oh, you're killing me. Sorry.
1: You're killing me. I want to
0: save him for WandaVision, however we end up doing WandaVision.
1: So as you know everybody, the the podcast is ending after Endgame. Oh, excuse me, after Far From Home. But we will continue on in a video format mm-hmm. cuz Pat's going to want to we're going to keep going and probably mostly Pat. You'll probably see, I'll be behind the camera, but Pat will be talking about the shows, WandaVision, Hawkeye, whatever all the shows are. And So I guess if you were looking for some Jimmy Woo action, you're going to have to wait till those <laughs> videos come out. <laughs> and those will probably be on the Forgotten Entertainment YouTube channel page. Yes. So uh, Correct. I guess we're not talking about Jimmy Woo today. We could,
0: Go ahead. Jimmy Woo is set to make an appearance in WandaVision <laughs> as a member of SWORD. And I know we've t- touched on S.W.O.R.D. a little bit in the past, but S.W.O.R.D. is the Sentient World Observation and Response Department. So they're the space-based counterpart to S.H.I.E.L.D. The S.W.O.R.D. in the comics is a lot more focused on the extraterrestrial, but I'm wondering if the S.W.O.R.D. that we see in WandaVision is more focused on the multiversal. And again, we get you know the multiverse problem popping up. So we'll see what happens with Agent Jimmy Woo, but we are going to touch on him at a later time. Okay fun fact too about sword though good is in a deleted scene for thor darcy remember darcy she references the sword database apparently they know about sword but they don't know about shield which probably makes why this got deleted (laughs) but she's also going to be set to return in wandavision as a member of the sword team so there you go now darcy who takes her knowledge from thor is going to be a government employee Aren't you happy?
1: I, I'm not excited about WandaVision whatsoever. I just don't know what the Damn. point is. So, but I'll watch it because know. you know for for the job. I mean, I'll, I'll, I'll watch. Job. I'll watch it because it's content, yeah. and we're not allowed to go anywhere. So, do you want to repeat your Sunny Birch stuff, or I'll just go into my note because we're gonna now we're gonna dive into this movie within the MCU. My note about Sonny Birch, and this could be wrong. The you know the, the note I found could be just you know BS, but. One of the movie's writers claims that Birch's employer is Norman Osborne.
0: Oh, okay. Okay,
1: so that's what... But it could be wrong.
0: But yeah. In my notes, because I didn't find that what you found. I yeah. said, is he working for Hydra? Is he working for Cross again? Cross well, back. Cross is dead. I know. I'm just saying, is it back?
1: I would assume that the Spider-Man franchise is going to go past three movies because he's so young. Yep. And you just got him. Although, don't they have to renegotiate that deal with Sony?
0: Probably have to renegotiate. Yeah, so
1: I don't even know if that's going to happen. So
0: you got three. This is what Spider-Man, Tom Holland's been in so far. Spider-Man Homecoming, Far From Home, Avengers Infinity War, Avengers Endgame. Civil War. Civil War. So we got five movies so far. Normally, I thought they sign him up for, what, six or nine picture deals? So the next one? So he's going to be in Spider-Man 3. Yep. And then he's going to be in Doctor Strange, I yep. think.
1: That counts? That, that just counts. Okay. Uh,
0: Thor 2, the, the little cut scene with um, a little moment with Chris Evans. will be yeah. turning into Chris Evans. That counted. Wow. And then the little moment in Spider-Man Homecoming where he's like, so you're in detention. With Chris Evans. Got that counts record. too? That counts too. Wow. They all count. Okay. So I don't know how many they get, but I think they're coming close to the end. Do they own? Who owns Miles Morales's character? Marvel does now. Disney does. So then,
1: this is what you're gonna do. You're gonna do the multiverse, and mm-hmm. then when you lose Holland's Spider-Man character, you're gonna just start off a Miles Morales. Yeah. And I'll tell you right now, they do a Miles Morales live-action movie. It's gonna be huge. Yes, it is. It's gonna do a lot of money, yes, and it's it gonna be huge. And you know what? They're smart to do it. Yep, because they own it. And Marvel, listen, if you're listening to this podcast, uh, go for it. (laughs) Because why not? Just be like, listen, you don't want to give us Peter Parker? Fine. We're going to go off with this and we'll create our own new trilogy and we'll have our own, you know, we'll do our own multiverse stuff. And guess what? Oh, Iron Man's in this this, uh, multiverse. So, oh, look, look, it's Iron Man now. So, yeah, they'll go off and do that. Regardless of that, my point was that if you're going to do more Spider-Man movies, it makes sense to bring in. Norman Osborne, yes, because does. you have not used him yet. And I know that he is a big part of the Spider Man yep. franchise. I just don't know who you're going to get to play him.
0: No. I mean, it, like the problem with J.K. Simmons is he was the perfect J. Jonah Jameson. Yeah. And then they couldn't get anybody to find to replace him. So, so they he, just used him. He just brought him back in again. <laughs>
1: That's fine. No one, I think, I don't think anybody had a problem with that. No.
0: Yeah. But I don't know if you could bring in um, Willem Dafoe I mean, No, no. I him don't, him. he wouldn't want to do it anyways. No, I don't think so. No, not at
1: all. But you'd, I, you'd have to go younger.
0: Because I I thought that, you know, Sonny was- Birch was working for Justin Hammer. Yeah. Can we just get a show? <laughs> Sam Rockwell. And Hammer Goggins?
1: It's gonna be called Hammer Time on Disney Plus.
0: No, he's getting Armor Wars.
1: Oh, is that what it is?
0: Yeah, presumably. That's what everybody's that's what the rumors are. So pop Who's
1: the up rumors? There. Just fans? Yeah, it just pops up on the that, internet. That's nothing. All right, let's talk about the tags.
0: Okay. So
1: the one big tag that relates to the movie and the MCU is the snap tag. Yes, sir. Do you like it? <laughs>
0: It answers the question of what, what's going on. What's going on.
1: and What I read was that whatever's happening in San Francisco is before all that. Or is yes. in the beginning because it takes time for them to build a little mini machine. and, the, and yeah. So, yeah. So, it's... I think... They do know of it. They have
0: to. No. I think what happens is... Yeah. Oh, you're saying the Wakanda group? No. Like,
1: I'm saying that the, the amount of time it took Pim to build the mini little van one yeah. was during all the stuff that's happening in infinity war i don't think so really
0: i think the stuff that happens in infinity war takes place over like two days okay i don't think there's a lot of time in between like they so there's the attack on vision and wanda in glasgow right and then they go to wakanda and like the next morning or that day whenever they get to wakanda is the day they get attacked okay so that's that ticking time bomb if we're going to use that saying like they're coming to get vision and they're not slowing down. They're not going to wait a week to send their emissary. And then, Oh, now we're going to wait a little bit longer. The New York one is happening a few hours prior to the Wakanda battle. Okay. As Tony goes to Titan, Tony strange and and Spider-Man go up to Titan. And so what my interpretation of this one was, it happened a couple weeks prior to the events of infinity war. Right. So when they're, building the you know when they're on the rooftop about to jump into the the van quantum realm thing yeah that's when thanos lands on earth like as they're driving up to the top of that parking garage thanos arrives <laughs> in wakanda okay that's that's how i okay it all right
1: um, and then they have the ant drumming which is not a yeah. there, whatever it's funny
0: but we do learn in this why mm-hmm. it's a throwaway line and it's it's an easy cover-up but why the wasp wasn't in civil war and it's because one you know, she says, you didn't call me, you didn't ask me. Yeah, he just left. He just left. I don't think they wanted to give away the Wasp costume yet in a different movie, especially when they were already introducing Spider-Man. But yeah. it would have unbalanced the teams, too.
1: Well, it would unbalance the teams, but you also, she never was fully the Wasp in the first movie. So you never really saw her as an action hero. Right. Now you're going to introduce her in a in a, in in a, a separate movie. Right. You're not going to do that. Yeah. You may you do that to some of the characters, but you're not going to do it to her. So yeah. no, I... I it didn't make any sense to do, to put that, but let's talk about that since you brought up Civil War because we were going to we were kind of getting into it a little bit. In a Civil War, Ant Man is arrested,
0: He's
1: mm-hmm. in a super secret base. Yep. Cap breaks him out and says, "Don't come with me. You're fugitives now, but you don't have to come with me if you don't want to." I guess, yeah. They say that Hawkeye and Ant Man both strike deals. Yes. When? So what happens? Does Cap only break out everyone but them, and they stay?
0: Or he broke them all out, and now they're they could go turn themselves into the FBI.
1: Oh, so you're saying that they he broke them out of the super secret DO, DoD prison, that so nobody that, knows about that, that. The you don't think that they're going to just come on in and take them?
0: I don't know. Yeah, okay. I don't know. Yeah, and and to say that the agreement is, I won't be a superhero anymore, and you get two years of probation. Two well, two years of house arrest. House arrest. Three
1: yeah. years of probation.
0: Yes. When we see Hawkeye in the opening of Endgame. He's just living on his farm. Right. And I could see why he would give that up. He's already been a spy and a secret agent and all that stuff. And it's time to retire anyway. He's got a family to take care of. But again, to your point, I don't know why the FBI, if they're the ones in charge of this, why they agree to that.
1: Yeah. It I doesn't. Uh, maybe because they've done good.
0: I guess. But not. I can see with Hawkeye,
1: because he's done a lot for them. Mm-hmm. And he's, he, he's probably somebody. Again, we talk about Hawkeye is not really a superhero. He's just really good at using arrows and
0: he was working for the government yeah so what he did in civil war i guess is the only portion like he right he trespassed on a airport yep what did hawkeye do because he's clearly registered with the government he's a government employee through shield well he he doesn't he didn't sign the accords right sokovia accords that keep popping up but he operated as a superhero his identity is public
1: it would have been great if for next the not Black Widow because it takes place in the nineties, but the next present-day Marvel movie, someone rips up the Accords yeah. in the first scene. And they're like, they like, it's a new era. And it's just like duh, duh, duh. <laughs> <laughs> or just give me a Sokovia chord show. I want a hey. show on Disney Plus called Sokovia Accords. Which
0: is C-Spain and, and then voting and them It's on all Sokovia just Accords. about yeah,
1: it's all about the it's all about them writing the literature, writing the words down for the document. Yeah. That's it. That's it. That's okay. all I want. Sokovia Accords.
0: If you look in Civil War, I think you see the actual. It's document. huge. It's huge.
1: It, that it's, document is a is like a is a four season arc on Disney Plus. Let's go.
0: Well, uh, the other piece I want to talk about is the Affordable Care Act. It was huge. Mm-hmm. It was ginormous piece of of uh, legislation that took a long time to get passed. Yep, it was a complicated piece to get get through uh, both houses of of Congress and, and onto Obama's desk, and then it was a cluster. Yeah. like it was a mess. And you're telling me that this giant Sokovia Accords is easily passed and then easily implemented? Well, here's the thing, too.
1: Get the uh, hell out of here. It, uh, in the bill for the Accords, when they pr- approved it, I'm wondering, was there money put aside to actually fix Sokovia? Because they completely tore the town up off the ground. Yeah. Completely. Put it back down. Everything bridges are damaged. Like, So did you... Put money back in there to make it like it should be like yeah exactly. I think
0: Scobie was done.
1: <laughs> so Scobie. listen, we can't fix this anymore. So we're, here's some money, move. <laughs>
0: <laughs> I know it's it's supposed to be signed by the United Nations and all the worlds, and it was unanimously signed. Nothing is unanimously the United, signed. The
1: United Nations is not a, 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 a is they're a nonprofit. Do they yeah, they don't they, they don't have any authority.
0: So I don't. I have no idea how this is. How this, <laughs> well, the other piece I want to understand is we're really getting into the weeds of the, 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 the legislation of the Sokovia Accords. What are the writers and endorsements were thrown on there? Like, how much did the <laughs> senator from Kentucky get for his people to keep them in an opioid ec- epidemic just to sign the stupid Well, maybe Sokovia that's not Accords? in
1: this Marvel universe. <laughs>
0: Jeez. That is a deep dive. Yeah. That is a deep dive. Um, so let's bring it back to the movie. Um, the only thing that I, this is a weird transition. <laughs>
1: I think we're going to talk about the opioid epidemic in America. We're going to talk about Amen and the Wasp, but all right.
0: Um, no, the only other piece, connection I wanted to touch on was uh, Cassie. Okay. And so Cassie Lang is, this is the last time we get her as, as little Cassie Lang. Right, I know. Everyone
1: movie. was so upset when they recast her. Oh, for the, Give me a break. This is, this is the business.
0: It is. and I'm, So I love that scene with her. You know, that's the scene that I like. Like this is the kind of family dynamic that I like, where she, he's sitting and giving her that motivational speech. Right. It's a really good scene. It's there's some laughs in it, but it's hits the core of, of the characters. And I think that that should have been the one of the driving points of this film. Yeah. And they just it's just there. Yeah. But, um, so the next time we see Cassie is in Endgame where she's been it's we get the five year time jump. Right. And, and she's she, been replaced by Emma Furman. Right. And we only see Emma Furman in Endgame for like two scenes. One, when he Scott goes to her house and knocks on the door and she's there and they reunite. And I think there's a scene at the end where they're they're watching fireworks together or something. Right. At the Disney Investor Day, it was announced that Cassie would be recast um, with Catherine Newton in the role. Catherine Newton, for those that don't know, she had multiple episodes on Supernatural. She was in Detective Pikachu, three billboards outside Ebbing, Missouri, Halt and Catch Fire, Big Little Lies. Yep. Emma Furman doesn't have that resume. Oh, no. That's why no you... No disrespect Emma Furman as an actress. She doesn't have that resume. And
1: to her credit, I know she posted saying like, oh, you know, yeah. congratulations. She was fine. She, she fine knows. She, she knows the business.
0: Yeah. When you look at the rest of what's going on in the Marvel Universe, you have uh, the Miss Marvel show. You have Haley Seinfeld coming in as Kate Bishop in the Hawkeye series. You have um, uh, Riri Williams, aka Ironheart, in, uh, in the Ironheart show and Florence Pugh in Black Widow as a potential second Black Widow, which we yeah. talked about.
1: Yeah, they're they're restocking their stable mm-hmm. with young actors that are popular. Yep. They, they didn't start off, like, Iron Man, Robert Downey Jr. was popular yes. when he was Iron Man, and Chris Evans, they didn't just bring, they didn't make, like, the only character I know that and it's not even Marvel, but it's X-Men is Hugh Jackman who yeah. got the role. He was out of nowhere and he just blew up from that. None of these people blew up from these roles. They were already big. Benedict Cumberbatch is not Doctor Strange. He's not Sherlock.
0: Right. I mean, Tom Holland, my, Tom Holland was Billy Elliot prior to. What do you mean on the stage? On the stage. Yeah. Prior to being in this. That was kind of his big claim to fame. Like if you right. look him up, if you're a theater fan, you know him. You're like, oh man, I love, you know, Billy Elliot. That's him.
1: Billy Elliot's a really good movie.
0: But other than that, I think he's the only one that was really catapulted into fame through these. From Spider-Man. Well, no, he was
1: in, uh, wasn't he in something that was. But he, well, let's put it this way, Pat. Yeah. That's probably the first notion of what they were trying to do. Yes. Right.
0: Yeah. Right. Yep. You know, whether they're building towards the Young Avengers, which is a, a group of young teenage heroes or the champions, a similar group. Yeah. And this is not surprising. No. In In, in, in all fairness
1: to all the 45 to 50 to 60 year old nerds that are growing up and, you know, they want it the way they want it. You are not the intended audience anymore. It is the people that are 20 and 30. Those are the people with disposable income. Yeah. Those are the people with money. Those are the people that go see these movies. The reason these movies are PG-13 is so people can see it who don't have to worry about the rated R rating.
0: That is the audience. (laughs) So when this happened. People were upset about the Emma Furman thing. Oh. And so I got into a couple discussions on Instagram. Oh,
1: I know how you like to do that. I always love to,
0: to get fired up there. People are like, Marvel would never do this. Marvel wouldn't just recast. And all I just want to be like. They do it all the time. Terrence Howard. Yeah. Terrence Howard. Yeah. What do you mean Marvel would never just recast? How do you feel about Terrence Howard? Dumb. So. Dumb. No, I don't, that's not how I feel about Terrence Howard. No. Dumb that people thought that. I mean, Terrence Howard. I think they re, they recasted somebody else too. They did. Can't remember who. Yeah,
1: was. we're blanking on it because I know they did.
0: Yeah. I mean, they, I'm not even thinking about uh, Hugo Weaving as Red Skull. That like that. Count. That was just a. That doesn't count. That doesn't. But
1: count. they did do that.
0: Yeah. Um, I'm trying to think who else they recast.
1: But it's this is what happens. It happens all. Yeah. <sighs> <laughs> so I don't know if everyone. Uh, I don't know if everyone's old enough to remember page, uh Not Patriot Games. It's called Red October. Fantastic film fantastic film. Alec Baldwin plays Jack Ryan and Alec Baldwin was going to be in Patriot games and he passed and then Harrison Ford became Jack Ryan. And then he went on to do clear and present danger and nobody had a problem with that. Nope. Nobody had a problem with that. That's what happens in movies. Yes.
0: Oh boy. All right. Yeah. So anyways, so that was the last, that was the last. There's really
1: not a yeah. the only connection to anything else in the MCU in terms of just the uh, movies that we have seen is the snap.
0: The snap and the Sokovia Accords, <laughs> yeah,
1: and I mean, I guess they reference Civil War in a little bit, you know, that kind of creates that dynamic between Scott and Hope, where. You know why she's upset? Why Hank's upset with him because he made them fugitives?
0: But it's an obstacle again. Yeah, and it's no, an no, no. Uh, to uh, it, Their relationship.
1: They, they use the stuff in the Civil War to give them to, to make the happy ending that they had at the end of the first yeah. one go away, so that they can create this dynamic of yeah. they're they're at each other,
0: but not really at each other because they need Scott's help and whatever. Most of these obstacles that are present in this movie don't come from this movie, right? No, the you're right. Between Scott and uh, Hope in the relationship. Comes from his decision to go his to decision war. in civil war. Yeah, the um
1: and Hank's just a grumpy old man. He's yeah, a grumpy old man in this and 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 the last one. It's fun though. No, no, no. <laughs> I'm fine with yeah, it. Yeah, no, but I'm it's I'm just com- fun. To but he's grumpy. just a grumpy old man. He's just he. You know, I like that he gives Scott Scott the business half the time. That's yeah. fine. But yeah, no, I hear you. I hear you. Yeah, but that's we didn't talk about the Stanley cameo.
0: That one seemed tacked on more yeah. than most of them. Yeah, like, they like like Peyton Reed was like, oh, right. We forgot about that. Crap. Yeah. <laughs> Let's get him.
1: And then there, and there you go. Now we've talked about it. All right. So I will be passing on now. Pat's going to talk, give you some recommended reading, but I will return next week with Pat. Field will return with Pat next week when we talk about Captain Marvel. Here we go. Here's the thing. Pat doesn't like Captain Marvel. I, I saw it once. So I'm curious if I'm going to like it, but Pat is anti Captain Marvel. So sorry.
0: There goes our female audience. <laughs>
1: Oh, come on, Pat. There's got to be something you like about it.
0: Yeah, there is. Okay, I, th- there I think go. it's a tighter story, but we'll get into it. and then right. A definitely tighter story than this.
1: Next week, Captain Marvel. And now, Pat, give us your recommended reading for M and the So Everyone else, see you later.
0: As always, at the end of each episode, we like to send you home with some recommended reading that follows up on some of the characters and plots presented in this week's film. Our recommended reading section is sponsored by Infinite Heroes, comics, cards, and collectibles in Watertown, Connecticut. If you're in the Connecticut or New England area, it's a great location to pick up comics from Marvel, as well as DC, Image, and more. They also have a large collection of trading cards, toys, and collectibles. Owner Paul Santos has worked in comics for years, most recently as an editor at DC Comics. Ask him for a recommendation and tell him we sent you. Thanks for listening. Uh, as always, we got some recommended reading for you. Number one, Avengers Epic Collection Under Siege. This collection by Roger Stern with art by John Buscema sees Janet Van Dyne take on the leadership role in the Avengers as she helps save the day from Baron Zemo. Next up, West Coast Avengers number 33 through 36. Hank Pym heads out west in The Return of Ant-Man by Steve Englehart, where he faces team infighting and Cold War enemies. And finally, the 2018 miniseries Ant-Man and the Wasp by Mark Wade and Javier Guerin that sees Scott Lang team up with the new Wasp, Nadia Van Dyne, when they get stranded in the Microverse. Thanks for listening. Uh, We really appreciate it. As always, please rate, review, and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. And tune in next week for yet another MCU podcast, Captain Marvel.